0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So when I, I found out that um, one of the retreats at Spirit Rock, where I've done many, many retreats, and, and, and several of us have gone up there, it's in Northern California, Um, that our guiding teacher, Trudy Goodman, was going to lead a retreat with a Tibetan teacher by the name of Anam Tufton. I uh, went to my bookshelf and um, got out his book that I've read many times over and over and over again over the years, but I thought it would be um, really nice to share some of his teachings with you on Buddhism today. And he's a, he's a teacher from Tibet, um, born and raised in Tibet. And um, I, I'm trying to see what his lineage is. Uh, the Nigma tradition. And I think he's in Northern California, very popular teacher. So I'm gonna read a little, share a little bit with you, and we'll uh, see how that lands. Um, and the title of the book is No Self, No Problem. There's another book on my shelf called Big Self, Big Problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wrote that one. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> All right. so um, true. Yeah. All right. So let me read a little bit, and then we'll discuss it. This is called Inner Contentment, Giving Up Nothing But Attachment. Happiness is something we all want, even though we don't admit that all of the time. It's the very reason we're on the spiritual path. Probably the reason we woke up and got dressed and came. Uh, It's also the reason we're pursuing relationships, careers, and all kinds of accomplishments. All of our activities are motivated by attempts to bring about the happiness we all desire. So it is good to admit that we all want happiness. Sometimes we tend to get a little pretentious. We don't want to admit that we want happiness because it sounds shallow or unsophisticated. Since we are spiritual seekers, we think that we should at least have the pretense of wanting awakening or enlightenment more than happiness. But at the bottom of everything, happiness is what we all desire. There's nothing wrong with wanting happiness, but we have to define what true happiness really is. There are many distorted versions of happiness, so defining what happiness is is a very important step. Happiness is not something we can achieve by accumulating things or by realizing our beautiful illusions. Contentment is not the state of having everything. Contentment is the inner state where attachment and fear are completely absent. Where attachment and fear are completely absent. Contentment is a state of mind where ongoing obsessive desire, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, has completely ceased. So actually contentment is a state of emptiness rather than a state of having everything that we have been fantasizing about and longing for you could probably identify with that moment where you got something that you were fantasizing about and longing before and it had a sort of mm, so-so feeling right just very so-so yeah so um i'll stop let me read another paragraph let me give an analogy, <clears throat> if we want to create space in a room and we begin by bringing in a lot of things outside, from outside the room, it will not work out. The room will become stuffed with junk. So how are we going to create space? We should begin by just getting rid of things. We simply get rid of all the junk. Get rid of all the things we are, that are not necessary. In the same way, to bring about contentment, we need a consciousness that is like creating space. It is not about having more, accumulating more. Rather, it is about letting go of this and that. When we let go of everything, we see that the space we wanted to create is already there. In the same way, inner contentment is already there, and that is true happiness. There is no enlightenment other than that. So, um, I love his line, to bring about contentment, we need a consciousness that is like creating space. Uh, And he says, the heart of spiritual practice is letting go inwardly. He says, also, I'm going to read you a few other quotes. Our ego, that little self in there that's running everything and chatting at us all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Defines happiness. And I rewrote this for him. (laughs) He doesn't know I'm his editor. (laughs) Four A's. I wrote the four A's. Uh, Approval. Seeking approval from outside ourselves, acceptance, seeking acceptance outside ourselves, acquisition and accumulation, Mm. right? Mm. Um, This is how we have been conditioned in our world to get happiness. Mm. It's our conditioning, our cultural, familial, religious, capitalistic way of getting happiness get the approval outside, get the acceptance outside of me, acquire more so I'm secure, and accumulate. Uh, And he's reminding us this formula has a big limitation, and that's why we come here. There's a limited form of happiness. And there's that other kind of happiness that is creating space. And he says, in the end, we have to integrate practice with everyday life where awareness and mindfulness bless our activities and interactions in each and every moment. We integrate our practice with everyday life, not just sitting on the cushion, where awareness and mindfulness bless our activities and interactions, that's the potential not so easy. So uh, in Buddhism, 2,500 years ago, the Buddha gave us a bunch of maps to describe consciousness and reality. And these maps, they're very durable. They've lasted 2,500 years. They're still relevant. It's just amazing when you think about it. I can't say Freud, is he going to last 2,500 years? I don't know, you know, but this is lasting a long time. And one of the maps is um, the four foundations of mindfulness, which we talk a lot about in here. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling tone. That third foundation is mindfulness of mind, and it's called citta, chitta. And um, it's really mindfulness of the heart and the mind, the awareness of the heart and the mind. And so um, we're not just aware of our breath in and out or aware of our body. We're beginning to cultivate an awareness of this um, mind and body, heart and mind. Right? It's your thinking, your imagining, the words you're telling yourself internally, the images that are playing in your head. Some of you may already have the football game on, I don't know, you know, or, or think about the snacks that are coming, the good evening. Um, right? Um, but it's also emotion. The emotional reaction you have in your body. The body has emotion, the mind have, has emotion. And your mind state, and, and you could check in right now, what's my mind state? Is it dull, sleepy? Is it alert, interested? Is it rejecting? Is it open? Um, the mind state is constantly, constantly changing. And the thoughts are always moving in the emotions. Um, and when we begin to look at this with awareness, we automatically see how impermanent our states are and the thoughts are and the mind is it's moving all the time it's like a big waterfall <laughs> you know it's always coming and going um and uh so we cultivate this chitta, awareness of mind mind states and emotion we cultivate it And uh, one of the Buddhist teachers I like to listen to, uh, Catherine McGee, she says, when you start to notice awareness of citta, you notice it's like a channel on your TV that's always on. It's always running, whether you know it or not. And some of the difficulty is that it's running even when we don't know it, right? It's talking to us and a lot of our, prejudices and uh, diluted thinking and our um, small thinking comes from the fact that the channel is on, but we're not paying attention to what's, you know, it's like when you have television in the background in your home, but you're not listening, Mm -hmm. but it's still on. Well, this is the state of our minds. It's always on. And so... um, we're always receiving it externally and internally, and we're going between the two. And sometimes, and she likes to say, and I like this uh, this way of describing it: when we don't know that it's on, it can take us for a ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It can really take us for a good ride. And some of you have been on a wild ride this week, haven't you? yeah i have <laughs> right um so um she says that our attention co-arises with the mind state so the mind state is there and our attention co-arises with it and when we can see that that's where that nibbana is that freedom there's a little enlightenment there you know and it's always uh, Anam on um tufton would say that's always available that's available she describes it as um, now you'll you'll see we'll see the age that we are. Um, who who has seen how they make cotton candy at the fair, right? So apparently they put in like a little piece of paper that's mm-hmm. like a stick, and they put it in. There's air and sugar and food coloring and I don't know what else is in there. I don't know, but. Really More good. sugar. Yeah. Sugar, lots of sugar. And um, this thing spins around, and then you get this big hunk of sugar called <laughs> cotton candy, which I loved as a kid. I don't know about you, but thought it was amazing. Um, but our thoughts are like that. In stories, when the awareness is not rising, uh, thought begins, and all of a sudden it's a big blob, <laughs> like cotton candy. That's how she describes it. <laughs> um and we get caught and stuck and then we call it me we call it i and when we do that we suffer we cling we're attached to the story and we suffer so one of the ways to break through this is the contemplation of chitta of bringing awareness to um to the, to the channel that's on all the time, bringing your awareness to the channel that's on all the time and knowing it in heart, body, and mind. Simply seeing the play as it unfolds, as you're writing it. And when you do it, it's amazing how powerful thoughts are that are not real or accurate and how they can really take over your day and cloud the story. And it's as simple as uh, an example that comes to mind is leaving my office one day in the middle of rush hour and where I am, uh, there's gridlock for miles on end. Like, it just seems like nothing moves, (laughs) streets don't move. And, uh, so, right, I get in the car, right, and uh, that remember, the channel is on whether you know it or not. And I'm watching, there's awareness watching all the thoughts about getting on the freeway. <laughs> you know, we've all been there, right? They're just not very pleasant. They're awful. And then if, if we're not watching, we become the person who's stuck in traffic. And then the mind is stuck, the body is stuck, everything's stuck. You're one dark mood. But if there's awareness, right, if you're watching, it's not so personal, and there's a little space. Mm -hmm. And that's the teaching of, it's a teaching, anatta, no self, not self, I'm not the one, right? This is a state, not a person. I am not stuck on the freeway, well, on a certain level my body is, but I don't have an identity that's caught in the drama of this story. Oh no, how long am I gonna sit here? This is such a waste, and wow, where this how did he drive like that? You know, you know that story, right? Anata. I am not my state. I'm not defined by what's going on. You know, I'm not taking it so personally, I'm not taking it in. I'm watching it. There's some space, and in that space we get to create some ease, right, to create some calm, some ease. I'm, I'm with this. I'm not lost in the content of it. Well, this is why I like to use this example of being with chitta, being with the channel that's always on, because the next thing you know is Oh, I'm really a good mindful practitioner because I am not with the traffic. You know, I am not a person stuck in traffic. I am not an I. I am just being. And so what's happening now? Right? What's happening now? I am a mindfulness practitioner who has tasted enlightenment and yummy. Right. Yummy. What does that feel like? Right? The big, right, right, right. (laughs) What does that feel like? Who's that now? How does that feel in ego, right? So what is that? I. I nailed it. Mm -hmm. Right? That moment where you nailed it is the next moment where you're deluded. (laughs) Right? So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I am now a self that got it. I'm not a stressed out person in L.A., in rush hour right now I'm an enlightened person and now what does that feel like how does that feel to cling to that mm-hmm. to desire to that right to want that how does that feel what's that like so so moment by moment we develop this capacity to see clearly what these states of mind and these thoughts are doing. And then we don't get to be, the teaching is very subtle here about we're learning that I don't, who do I take myself to be in this moment? Who am I identified with? Who do I cling to? And if I cling to it, is there suffering? How am I suffering? How am I suffering? And some wonderful things come from that inquiry where you empty it out. Like he says, Anam Taptin, you don't bring all the furniture in the room. You empty the stuff from the room. It's not the accumulation. It's the emptying out. One of my teachers, uh, I love when she tells the story of um, being alone on New Year's Eve. and She just didn't get invited to a New Year's Eve event. Um, and uh, she had some judgment about that. She wanted to be invited to a New Year's Eve event. She wanted it. And it's normal. There's nothing wrong with it. So her mind, the whole evening, you know, she had made her dinner for one and had a little candle and... You know, mm-hmm. But her mind was telling her all sorts of stories about her friends, where were they? I think she'd been recently widowed as part of that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, her friends, where were they? Or all these great things that were happening, no invite. And isn't it awful that I'm alone and it's the last day of the year? And wouldn't it be better if there was people with me or someone with me? And you know, she just began <clears throat> to watch so it's like the empty room with all the furniture coming in, you know. <laughs> Each thought a new form of clinging or suffering, you know, a new form of of uh, idea to, that she's kind of attaching to. And we create a lot of this suffering. Uh, and then at a certain point, she got very still and quiet and just sunk into this um, very sweet landscape of the last day of the last year this aloneness but this deep quietness that was in her home in her room in her body in her mind and she just got beneath it underneath it she emptied it out you know she emptied it got empty for her and she went on to say that was the richest New Year she ever had. This beautiful New Year, right? Because she could do what he's talking about—empty out the contents of the room, empty the mind—and that's, in a way, that is an anatta, no self, not self. I'm not creating an overlay of a story. I'm being with what is. I'm emptying it. They empty it out. So the things that we can ask ourselves, we can use inquiry to um, pay attention to the channel that's always on, you know, to pay attention to the channel. It takes work. Uh, it's not that easy. Uh, just what's happening right now? What's happening in my body and mind, in my heart? What's happening? Is there something that I'm clinging to, right? Um, How do I feel it in my body? Sometimes there's a felt sense in the body of of what's happening, right? What are the thoughts that are arising, the image, the felt sense in the body? Can I name it? Can I give it a word and name it? Sometimes it just helps to call grief, grief, sadness, sadness. Anger, anger, hate, hate, right? Delusion, delusion, right? Just can I name the state? Sometimes that really helps us land right where we are. And then can I be with it in a non-reactive way? Am I not rejecting it or pushing it away? Can I just be with it as it is? Not that easy. especially like aversion states. They're hard. <clears throat> They're difficult to be with in a non-reactive way. And even can I be with it in a non-reactive kind of compassionate way? So, uh, see if I have a little bit more. I'll read you a little bit more from him mm-hmm. and then we'll have some dialogue, yeah? Um. So here's another paragraph or two. We identify with our body made out of flesh, bones, and other components. And therefore, we believe that we are material, substantial, and concrete. This understanding has become so embedded in our belief system that we rarely question it. The results of that are the inevitable uh, conditions of old age sickness and death. We acquire these conditions simply out of believing that we are this physical body. We always pay a high price when we believe in false ideas. This perception is not just held individually; it is held deeply by the collective mind of society, and for many generations. That is why it is so strongly in entrenched in, um, in our psyche. Our normal everyday perception of each other is governed by this false identity and then strengthened and enforced by the language we use. At a very early age we are indoctrinated into the notion of a self as the body. For example, we see a small child. We say, he's beautiful. I love his hair. She has the cutest eyes. Through thoughts and comments such as these, we are planting the seeds of this mistaken identity. Of course, there is nothing wrong with giving compliments. It is much better than criticism. However, it is still a form of myth, uh, conception. The truth is that independent of any characteristics, a child is inherently beautiful the moment she is born. So are we all beautiful. So what he's saying here, and I wanted to add this in, taking this one step in and a little bit deeper, is that um, we have this collective agreement almost in a way to define each other by our visual field of seeing the body. And then we make all kinds of judgments on that and we're caught in it. We're caught internally and externally when we do that. Uh, It's a lot of trap around the image of the body. So many of us have uh, judgments internally about our body, not being good enough for an ideal, or we're not the right age, we're not the right color, we're not we have the right clothing or our weight or you know, and we, we we contract around these ideas and we suffer and you know. And then externally we are seeing people as bodies and we're lost in that. It's particularly sad when we're walking by a homeless person or um say a cleaning lady, a gardener that we're not even noticing and seeing as a human being. Right? We're lost in the word and the image and the idea. And we're feeling very separate there. You know, it cuts us off from that beauty of um, no thought, just being. You know, and something we're raised to do, that the society reinforces. <laughs> so another way of going back to chitta, right, of thought, mind, image, internal chatter, mind state, is to just watch how you're automatically making statements about people in front of you based on the way they look. How much you've already assumed. Sorry. How much you've already assumed and how at that point we're kind of separate from them because we're just not seeing their being. We've already got a set of truth, false truths going. And as a culture, if we just did that, that would be great. If we could teach kids to do that. Wouldn't middle school be different if we just taught that? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. So So I will um, stop right here. Keep it short and simple, as if this were simple, Mm. Mm. right? And I'll give you a little bit of time to discuss this in a small group. Would you like that or you want to, yeah. Okay, so small group, Um, and um, I've, I've, I've been really asking you all to use inquiry, that's why we do the small group partly to share with each other and experience each other the wisdom, but to practice consciously asking questions that turn the awareness on, right? chitta and awareness, right? When, when, when the awareness meets the channel that's always on, that's where freedom lives. That's where that potentiality. So, so the question is, Um, quite open-ended that you can explore today and you can share whatever you like to share with your fellow um, Long Beach friends Um, but the question would be um, who do I take myself to be right what is a familiar self what's a familiar self And are there moments that we don't take ourselves to be anything, what's that like? Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. All right, so maybe meet in a small group of three or four. And new people, we, if, for, for new people, you, we do, we do meet in small group and have dialogue. It's a good way to meet your fellow neighbors. If you're not feeling like it, you can journal. Yeah. Sit quietly and journal. That's okay too. All right. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.